The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or you can email radio at bnntv.org. Hello, welcome to Life Matters. I'm your host, Brendan O'Connell. Well, we often don't talk about this subject, but it's a very important subject uh, that has to do with the post-abortion recovery. And we have the founder and president of your organization. Save One. Save One, Save my one. goodness. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyways, um, uh, her name is Sheila Harper, and uh, we're going to hear her story and, and what she's doing to help people to recover from the, both the psychological and emotional effects of uh, post-abortive living. Well, welcome, Sheila Harper. Thank you. I am so honored to be here. Sheila, how did you get involved with the uh, Right to Life movement? Oh, how did I get involved? It uh, uh, is a long story that I'll try to make short, but it was from my own abortion that I had at 19 years old. And I spent the next seven years just hating myself and trying to die. I attempted suicide and started abusing substances, just trying to numb myself. And uh, I, I didn't know how to fix myself until finally I found my way to a Bible study, a lot like the one Save One offers, and I, I couldn't get enough of it. It was like I, I met God, and they showed me how to be liberated from this wound that abortion had left me with for seven years. And so I started working at the pregnancy center, and that was back in 1992, and I just have never stopped, and it has just developed more and more. I just keep walking through open doors, and I, I love the Right to Life movement. Uh-huh. Well, now, what do you mean by the word abortion recovery? Well, when I say abortion recovery, I think it's important that we recognize that there are so many women, men, and family members who are wounded by abortion. When, when we go and we choose abortion, it do, it's not just a simple choice. It's not just something that, you know, any little girl ever dreams of one day of growing up and having an abortion. I mean, that's just never on your radar. And so when you make that choice, you walk around with this wound that you cannot fix outside Jesus Christ. And so when we offer recovery, we, you know, we're trying our hardest to stop abortion on the front end, but we at the same time have to recognize that there were over 60 million women who walked out the back door of those clinics. And there is a man attached to each one of those children who lost their lives. And so that's a lot of wounded people. But when we can get them recovered and, and healed and whole and healthy, they become some of our, our, our loudest advocates for life. They become our biggest cheerleaders and they become these walking billboards for God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful process. Now, uh, we have a, a lady up here in the Massachusetts area, Kathy Finn Hill, who is trying to help 
women uh, with this type of abortion recovery, but she says it's hard to get people to show up, <laughs> you know, to, mm -hmm. to, uh, to go through a process to, that could heal the effects of uh, abortion. Uh, do you have that same problem? Well, we, when we, you know, usually when you offer a Bible study at a church or at a pregnancy center or something, and, it, and it's a, you know, just a normal Bible study, you'll have 20, 30, 40 people come. Mm -hmm. But with, with an abortion recovery Bible study, if you have 10 people come, that's huge. That's almost too big of a class. So if you have four or five people come, that's a good sized class because they need such individualized attention. But what we have found is when people hear personal stories, when they hear the stories of abortion and what abortion, the horrors that abortion puts you through, it's like they can relate. And when they hear that in a church or they hear that at a banquet or they hear that on a show like this, it's almost like we give them permission to come forward and deal with it and not come forward in a in a, a public way, but come forward in a confidential, safe setting, like in a church or a pregnancy center or a ministry of some kind. So when when we offer that and they hear these personal stories, they come forward and it's it's really incredible to see. Now I have perused your website and I saw that you had some success stories. Uh, Tina, Rachel, Linda, Brandy, William, uh, Kenny, John, Lisa. Can you tell us about those success stories? How do they become success stories? Yes. Well, it's one of the things that I always say in our trainings. It's like when you, when you lead these classes, that seat as a leader is addictive because you're literally on the front row watching God's miracles take place in people's lives because they come in and they're so broken. And oftentimes they can't even say the word abortion because they are so distraught and they're so broken. And then it's just beautiful how as they go through the process and God starts to take off those layers after layers that they have put on, it's like you see the life start to come back in them and they, if, when they come out of the class, they start telling people what happened to them, what God did for them. It's almost like you're compelled to tell people. But, wow. and, and those are incredible success stories, seeing these people get healthy and whole. But then at the same time, when their story is used to save a child, to save another man or woman from living in this, in, in this hell that abortion puts you in, from when they can use their story to stop an abortion, that is like the the total, that's like the coup de grace, the, <laughs> the most wonderful success. I see. And what does, a, is a class just one night or is it several weeks? Or what, how would someone who would be interested uh, looking mm -hmm. up saveone.org, what, what would they find as far as what is the process they have to go through? Oh, absolutely. We have kept this process as easy as we possibly could because, you know, we're all busy. I don't want to add something else to your plate that is very complicated. So we've made the process very simple. We have several different ways you can get trained. 
we have quarterly online trainings we have streaming videos and that takes a few hours and we just train you how to run this bible study and then once you are offering the bible study we call you a chapter and we put it on the website on our website and our website gets tens of thousands of hits every year people just looking for help after abortion and because they don't know where to go for help and so when you're listed as a chapter then people start coming to you and you're able to help them right there in your community so it's a, it's a very simple process it's a we train two different ways one is the traditional 10 to 12 week class where you come and you you usually will take a part one chapter every week and then we also have a weekend plus six is what we call it where you meet for a weekend and then six weeks after that a lot of men like that better than having to you know take 10 weeks and talk about their abortion experience now uh, i know that a lot of men uh, uh, have nowhere to turn or there's many more women that are at these uh, classes than men what what has been your experience uh, with the men uh, or, well, or does your when, husband jack deal with them yes yes well when uh early on we started save one in 2000 and i would say it was probably around 04 <clears throat> excuse me we had the first man ask to come through the woman the women's class and so I didn't know what to do with him, really. And so I, uh, I just said, yeah, come on. And I gave him the, the book, which at the time it was pink and had flowers on the front. <laughs> and I said, you're just going to have to change the pronouns to fit your, your situation. So that's what he did. And I really thought that was a fluke. But then the next time I offered the class, another man asked to come through the class. And I knew mm. then something was up that, and I started really analyzing. And I feel like the other side was ingenious in making this, making us believe as a society that this is just a woman's issue because, because everyone knows how, how um, influential a man's voice is in our life. I mean, we've just seen right now with Britney Spears coming out and admitting that she's had an abortion because her boyfriend, Justin Timberlake, encouraged her to. A man's voice is very influential. And so they made it all about the woman, leaving us out here making a, a just vulnerable, making a choice that we were never created to make. But we've raised this entire generation of men to believe they can't speak to this issue. And so we have so many times people will come to us, couples will come, and the woman will be saying, I wanted him to stop me. And the man would be saying, I didn't think I could. I didn't think I should say anything. It's her body and her choice. And so we started helping men. I, I wrote the men's Bible study. We started helping men and it, it was going good. We would have one or two a year come through the classes, you know, like, mm -hmm. like, and we felt like we were doing good. And then in 2018, my husband joined a Save One full time and he became the men's director. He, he runs everything to do with the men and men came out of the woodwork. Oh, <laughs> it was that... so incredible to see huh. every single week. My husband and I are usually in a different church speaking on issues of life. 
And we always mention the men, and undoubtedly every week a man will come up to my husband and say, it's the first time I've ever, ever heard someone talk about my grief. Hmm. And they, I, instantly they have a place to turn. And so it's incredible. I love, I love seeing men come through. Now, when we hold a training, ever since 2018, I think we've had one training that we did not have a man in it. And so it's it's really awesome to see wow. when they when they know they have a place to turn, they come out and they deal with their with their stuff. I see. Now, as I perused your website again, I saw an interesting uh, look. You have a lot of books or pamphlets, and one is called "Finding You: Recover Your Identity After Sexual Trauma." Yes. Uh, how? Give me an example. How how does one recover their identity? Or, or how is there, first of all, how has it been damaged, and then how do they recover their identity? Well, my, my heart is abortion recovery, and mm -hmm. as I was doing abortion recovery all these years, these nearly three decades now, I started seeing this correlation between people who were coming to us for abortion recovery help had some type of sexual trauma in their past, like a rape or a, a childhood sexual abuse, mostly childhood sexual abuse. And I started reading research and papers and books about this subject because other people had put this together, that abortion is actually the aftermath of sexual trauma. And so when I started realizing that, I, I saw that if we can get people healed from sexual trauma, we will have far less abortions in the world. And so I wrote that Bible study as well called Finding You, and we have Finding You groups popping up now, like we have Save One chapters. But when, when you are traumatized sexually, it's like everything in your mind gets twisted. Your, your thoughts about yourself, your identity, everything you see and do, decisions that you make are seen through that lens, that filter, of that sexual trauma. And so it, it so messes with your identity that you you grow up and you think you're this one person, but actually God says you're this person. And so mm -hmm. that that Bible study just kind of helps them get back to who God says they are, not what the trauma made them believe they were. Do you think that that trauma has led to, I know in statistics that I've read myself, uh, Dr. Reardon out of the Midwest, um, that uh, suicides are, I think, six times greater amongst the female population that have had an abortion versus the female po population that haven't. And they're told uh, not to talk about it a lot of times. They're, oh, don't talk about it, you know. And, you know, keeping it inside, um, that has to hurt, doesn't it? Yes. Absolutely. It absolutely does. I've often described it as, and, and I hate to be so dramatic, but this is actually a spiritual issue. This is, mm -hmm. it, and it's one that we have to fight spiritually, but I've often described it as when you, when you choose abortion, it's almost like you open this door of death in your life and the enemy just keeps consuming and consuming until you're in the grave. And I remember with myself, I, I kept trying to fix myself during that seven-year period before I, I found my way. 
But I remember thinking, how am I going to carry this? You know, I, I was 21 or 22 years old by then, and, and I hated myself. I was completely reliant upon drugs and alcohol. But the enemy said, you know, look at your 30-year-old self. How are you going to carry this for 10 years? And then look at your 40-year-old self. How are you going to carry this 20 years? And he started, he started putting these thoughts in my head. And then finally he said, just take your own life and you won't have to deal with it. And I remember when I had that thought, I could take my own life and this will all be over. And it was almost like a relief. Like, oh, that's how I can get, get rid of this problem. Because when we look at this problem, it's an unfixable problem. After you've had an abortion, your, your normal coping skills, your deductive reasoning, it doesn't work on this problem. You can't go back and fix it. You have to have a divine intervention come in and transform you from the inside out for this problem to be fixed. But it is fixable through him. But, but when you look at it like that, I, I can't even tell you the scores of people who have either tried to commit suicide or they have suicidal thoughts when they come to us. That's a, a something that we discuss at length in the training because we've had so many people who come to us for help and they have suicidal thoughts or they have attempted. Now your organization is growing quite a bit. You're not only here in America, but you're international. How did that happen? Oh my goodness, I, I wish I could say, well, you know, I have this 10-point plan and <laughs> I'm this, you know, marketing genius here. But literally, I, and I tell people this literally, we just kept walking through open doors. And as we were obedient, it was like God just gave us more and more. But hmm. literally, I mean, you would think that Spanish would have been the first the first uh, language that we translated the books into, but actually a girl who owns a chain of pregnancy centers in Romania was the first person who contacted me. Wow. And she said, hey, I, I ran across your Bible study. Could we take it and translate it and use it as abortion recovery in all six of my pregnancy centers in Romania? So I said, well, yeah, I guess. I had never even thought about going overseas. But I said, yes, that's, that sounds great. Let's do it. And so that's what started that chain of events. Hmm. Uh, and I will tell you this. This is such a God story. My friend Timothy, who was that first man who asked to come through the women's Bible study, later he and his wife moved or, or they got transferred through his job to Slovenia, hmm. which is Eastern Europe. And he went over there, called me about a year later, said, you know what, I, there is a great need over here for abortion recovery. Could we take the women's study and translate it into Slovene? And I said, yes. As he started using the studies, he said, this needs to be all over Europe. Do you mind if I start an NGO for Europe? And I said, yes, that sounds great. <laughs> and so he started uh, Save One Europe he moved on. He and his wife were transferred to China. He started Save One China. We now have a, a great couple who's running Save One Europe. They're in 13 countries over there. I mean, it's just been, it's just been incredible. Hmm. Now, so, I mean, we literally just keep saying yes. Well, that's phenomenal. I mean, just to think of, you know, the one child policy in China, which may have been 
loosened a little bit, but uh, I mean, how, that, oh, that, there's that's, a lot that, of wounded women and men over there. Right, right. And now, also, you have a book here called "Is There Not a Cause?" What What mm -hmm. is that about? That's one of my favorite books that I've written, and it is uh, it is geared toward pastors, but any leader can read it and get something out of it. But it just kind of shows pastors. Like, this is what we have to be doing. There is a cause that is worth fighting for. Those words were actually the words that David said on the battlefield when he went to fight Goliath. Hmm. He got there and he saw that all of the, the these, you know, these men who he had put on a pedestal, these warriors that were supposed to be fighting with him, fighting for him, were actually hiding in the bushes because they got afraid because the circumstances changed. The, mm -hmm. the giant showed up and started ridiculing them. And mm -hmm. then he came out there standing in between them and he said, is there not a cause that we're fighting for? Just because we may be fighting a giant now doesn't mean we cower down and we don't fight. And so it, it is a, a call to action for pastors, for leaders, who have handed this off to politics and said, oh, politics will, you know, it, it'll, it'll deal with the abortion for us. No, there's a cause that the church needs to rise up and be, and be fighting. And so I just talk about that, how we have to, why are we allowing this to be fought over here in this arena when we have the power as the local church to be fighting this issue? In our own backyard. Now, I wanted to also ask you about the intergenerational uh, aspects of abortion. In other mm -hmm. words, uh, a, a daughter has an abortion and now a child is lost. They would have been grandparents. Uh, uh, how, do you have any grandparents or people that come f through your program that are, you know, my daughter had an abortion and it, it wounded me? Oh, yes, yes. Actually, the third Bible study that I wrote was called The Ripple Effect, and I wrote it for because we were getting so many grandparents, so many siblings coming through the program, so we decided to make their own Bible study. But all three of these Bible studies mirror each other, so you can hold one abortion recovery group, and anyone who is abortion wounded can come through and they have their own book. But these grandparents, they like a lot of times, they are the ones who forced their child to have the abortion. Uh -huh. And then they saw their, their child's life go off the rails and they realized what they did was horrible. And so they're coming and they need help and they need somewhere to, to be able to lay down this wound so they can repair these family relationships. Uh, there's so many dynamics to that. And a lot of times the grandparents didn't know till 10 years after the abortion that they had had a grandchild that was aborted. And so it really doesn't matter how these grandparents are wounded, the pain is still the same. They lost that grandchild in an unnatural, horrible way. And so ministering to them is incredible. We had one girl who I love to tell this story. She came through the, the class, was so broken. And, you know, by the end of the class, she was ready to go tell the world, you know, what God had done for her and this abortions. But, but it's not part of the Save One program. We don't say, now go tell everybody, <laughs> you know, we don't do anything like that. But she felt led to tell her family. 
So she told her family, her, her daughter, her son, her husband, about the abortion, what she went through, but how God transformed her. Well, years later, her daughter came and said that she was 17 and, and she was pregnant and not married. And she said, I'm pregnant. And of course, my friend was devastated. But the very first words out of her daughter's mouth was, the people that I've told, they all said I should have an abortion. But I saw what it did to you, and I knew I would never make that choice. And so wow. I love seeing how so many times it is generational, the grandmother, the mother, the daughter. But because my friend Donna got healing and w was open and vocal about it, she saved the life of her own grandchild. Hmm. And so I love when things like that happen because it's just beautiful. Do grandparents, uh, you know, the, <laughs> when they have grandchildren, they want to, they're doting over their grandchildren. And of course, yes. uh, at the end of the day, they can go home. They don't have to be with the child the whole time. Uh, <laughs> do, do you find that uh, they have a more difficult time expressing their loss to their daughter, let's say, uh, who's had the abortion? Yes, that relationship always gets, um, and, and when I say always, I mean, I hate to paint with such a broad brush, but relationships are forever changed when abortion is brought into it, mm -hmm. and especially when the parents have said, no, you're going to lose your college scholarship, you have to go have this abortion, you know, and the, and the child is not wanting it. It always changes that dynamic. And so we see that a lot. The, the relationships are so hard because the parent may have forced the child, but the parent comes in and they're wounded and it is extremely difficult because they're the ones that caused this, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And so for them to admit it and lay it down is extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. But once they do it, once they, they confess and once they get it out, then it's like they're able then to, to, the, to take the steps that are necessary to mend those family relationships. Mm -hmm. Now we're towards the end of our show and I noticed you had a few events coming up. Uh, briefly, you've only got a minute, but could you tell us about the, the events you have coming up? Oh, sure. Uh, we have several that are in the works. We've got a, a conference this weekend. We go to Memphis after that. We've got a big event on Cor Coronado Island the next week. Um, I mean, there, there's just event after event after event mm -hmm. almost every single week until December. And then our whole calendar almost for 2024 is booked. And wow. so it's, uh, it's just been incredible. People are starting to wake up and realize they can do something about life. Oh, that's great. Uh, I was at the Coronado Island in San Diego about a month ago. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, well, thank you so much, Sheila, for coming on. And uh, your organization, Save One, is doing really a lot, doing God's work. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And folks, we hope you... It was you an honor to be with you. Thank you. And we hope you found today's show to be unique, informative, content-rich, truthful, and thought-provoking. Thanks for watching and listening. My name is Brendan O'Connell, your friend for life.
The preceding commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass., 02119. Attention WBCA LP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org.